This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. this life, we all make mistakes. Have you ever felt that a mistake in your life disqualified you for God's continued favor and blessing on your life and ministry? Have you ever felt that the mistake negated God's gifts and calling on your life? How did you recover from a very public error or a left turn in your life? Hi, this is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, the host of The Voice of Leadership and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. And today's return guest, Ron McMillan, candidly shares his testimony with us. Stay tuned to better understand and receive God's love, forgiveness, and encouragement in the midst of and after life's missteps. Ron McMillan, a Colorado native, is a top 30 billboard gospel smooth jazz saxophonist and recording artist known as Mr. Jazz Watercolors on Sirius XM Radio. He's had the privilege to play alongside very high profile artists in the gospel and smooth jazz industries. You will hear his song, The Walk, featured every week on The Voice of Leadership and Consuming Fire on Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. Ron's love for God and his passion for music are the foundation for all of his many successes in the music industry. Welcome back, Ron, to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. Hi, Dr. Karen. Thank you for having me back again. It is such a privilege and an honor to be here. Absolutely. A, a delight to have you back. And I know you have some wonderful things to share with our audience. Typically, and most of the time, and previously, you've been on the show mostly as we're showcasing a lot of your fabulous music. So today, we're going to feature more of what I'll call your backstory. Well, thank you for having me. I am so glad to be able to share this. I, I am very open about my testimony, and I've shared it in several venues and places. So thank you for honoring me with this opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. And I know that many people will be blessed as a result. So let's start with that. What exactly is your testimony, Ron? What is uh, the heartbreaking experience that happened in your life? Well, my testimony is going to be uh, laced with the spiritual element of it because God has had his hand on me all of my life. So there were three uh, distinct events that occurred over the course of my life, early early life, um, where the enemy uh, attempted to take my life. The first time, it was at the age of four. Um, there was a carbon monoxide leak in the house where I was living with my siblings, my brother, my sister, and my parents. And the Lord blessed to where I reacted to it, and I began to cough. And my dad worked for a gas company at the time. So he recognized what was going on. But if it hadn't have been for my reaction, my whole family would have perished in that event. But uh, in saying that, um, what happened, 
I ended up not breathing and, and it seemed like I had lost my life for a while as my dad performed CPR for several minutes, laid me on the ground. And I, I remember none of this, of course, <laughs> I just know the story and the Lord uh, saw fit for me to be brought back to life at that time. The second occurrence was when I was 16 years old, as teenagers do, you have peer pressure, cares of life, and you think that the world is going to end. Um, I had a my first girlfriend and found out she was cheating on me and all that good stuff. And I felt hopeless. And, and amongst other things, I wasn't doing well in school at that particular time, probably due to the circumstance of worrying about all of that stuff. And um, I attempted to take my own life at the age of 16. So um, I took several medications at night before I went to sleep, didn't plan on waking up. And the doctor actually said I shouldn't have. <laughs> and it and it happened to be finals day, you know. And um, if I can just share a little bit of detail about this incident, um, I woke up feeling normal. <laughs> My mom came and got me. I'm like, okay, you know, so I went to school, I walked into my first hour class, I was doing horribly in that class. And I asked the math teacher, he said, you ready to take the final? I said, is it going to help me? He said, probably not. <laughs> I said, well, I will um, not take it then. I just went to my seat, put my head down on my desk. And that's the last thing I remember before waking up in the hospital. I'm not going to give a lot of detail on everyone seeing that happen for them to call the ambulance, but it was very dramatic. And the doctor said I should have been gone like the night before, but the Lord preserved my life. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've always had a passion for loving the Lord, you know, but I didn't really give my life as a young person, but I just had a connection, should I say. The third incident, my first girlfriend actually became my wife. Uh, we stayed together. Um, we were together since seventh grade. So we ended up el eloping because her mother was a very abusive uh, mother and she did not approve of us being together and so we eloped and went to live with my parents her mother and her stepdad vowed to us that they would do whatever they could to destroy our marriage so in saying that um, over the next few years what would happen is every holiday every um, occasion you know she would come and turn I wouldn't say she turned my ex-wife against me, but uh, she had a form of uh, control over her due to the abuse that occurred to her over the years. So she, she actually feared her mother um, and it was a lot of physical abuse and verbal abuse. So she would rather not deal with that and leave me. So we would break up like two to three times a year at different times based on just that, that kind of thing, you know, just in-laws trying to cause chaos in our marriage. And 1996, August 5th, we were broken up and I was a young, I was 21. We uh, decided to get back together on our wedding anniversary. <laughs> and I was at a point of such bitterness. I said I was going to hurt them if they, if they tried to keep their family away from me. You know, and I, and, you know, knowing this now, you know, I'm a mature individual. I know how to handle things, but it was years of threats and her, uh, father threatening to shoot me and uh, a lot of things like that. And so I had three boys with her. So it was a little more passionate for me 
uh, with me having children and them taking away my children, not just my wife. Being a young person, I didn't know how to handle that pressure. You know, I was a loving, calm person, but when it came to family, I was a little more upset and had bitterness in my heart. And before I get to that, if it's okay, about a month before, um, I played a lot of basketball and I was at a gym and I was playing and, and on my way out of the gym, there was a, a pastor that came and chased me out to the parking lot. And he said, the Lord wants me to tell you, and he had tears in his eyes, that the enemy is about to try to kill you. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, oh, really? Okay. And, you know, I believe in that because I grew up in church and I know the, knew, knew who the Lord was. And he, and he started actually crying and saying, please give your life to God tonight. Whatever it is, let it go. And the only thing that came to my mind is that I would have to forgive those people for how they've done me. And I would not do it. So that was leading up to it. So a month later, fast forward, we were planning on getting back together. And I carried a firearm with me because I had so much bitterness. I said, if they do anything or try to keep my family away from me, I'm going to hurt the father at least because he's i hadn't seen him for a while since he had threatened to shoot me so <laughs> i already had that built up inside so uh, i drive up to the house and and we had already agreed and i walked up to the garage door was open and i had the firearm underneath my shirt and as i walked up to knock on the garage door inside the garage i hear her mom yelling and cursing at her you know why am why she choosing me over them and all that good stuff and then the father-in-law seen me drive up because they knew I was on my way. And he came up behind me and said, you know, what are you doing here? I said, I'm coming to pick up my family. And he said, well, they're not going to go with you until we work out our differences. And that gave me a sense of calm, actually, because it sounded like he was being reasonable for the first time ever. He said, well, just come in and let's talk. And I said, okay, you know. So as I'm going in, the mother's yelling and cursing at me and we go to a back room. I sit on the bed and he closes the door and he's standing in front of the door. And just to let you know, when we broke up the last time, they called the police on me and said that I did something. And there, there's a restraining order in place. And she goes along with them, you know, just it's a whole situation. But all I wanted was my kids, you know what I mean? So I was just, it was, it was an argument and stuff like that, but they got a restraining order and just so I would get away from the house so they could take her stuff and leave for the umpteen time. And, uh, you know, I've gone through that a lot. I've gotten arrested for no reason and stuff like that just because they wanted people out of the house or wanted me out of the house while they do what they need to do. I, I was thinking about the fact that there's a restraining order because I'm young, you know, just, just want to pick up my family, go and celebrate our anniversary and be back together again, you know. So I noticed that he's guarding the door and he asked me, what is, what have I ever done to you? And I said, well, I kind of went down the list. I'm not going to say everything I said. I just told him that, you know, you threatened my life. You know, you act like you're the children's father and not me and, and tell me that I'm nobody pretty much. You know, when I said the thing about the kids, it pushed his button. He said, well, the police are on their way because you have a restraining order. And he tried to hold me there until the police came. I just kind of pushed him out of the way. I was kind of a big guy because I play football. <laughs> I just kind of pushed him out of the way. I went past him. And um, as we turned the corner, he grabbed me. And this is exactly what happened. 
I pulled the gun out and everything went in slow motion. And I put it up to his his head and I started pulling the trigger. And I heard probably the first two or three clicks. And then I blacked out. And that's the last thing I remember until I'm in a whole totally different room on top of him and people on top of me and stuff like that. So when that happened, I just wanted to get out of the house. So as I'm trying to get out of the house, I'm fighting everyone other than my, you know, my ex-wife. She was just crying. And and I see my son, he's a baby, he's crawling on the floor. I'm just running by and just trying to get out of the house. And as soon as I get out of the house, the police are there. That's when they show up. The officer told me to get on the ground. I'm a young man. <laughs> I get on the ground. I jump back up. I just want to get to my car. And I had these episodes of blackouts. Um, all I can remember is me turning around and maybe taking a swing at him and then tumbling and waking up in the hospital. At that point, um, I woke up. There, there was an officer there. I was handcuffed to the bed and my dad was there. And the first thing I heard is, that was not your son out there. When I looked into his eyes, I seen something else. And he said, we knew that someone had a gun. You know, his shirt was torn, is wrapped around his arms. He said, I was about to shoot him. And he said, something told me not to, mm. you know, because I was running toward him. So I was put on a $50,000 bond. You know, my parents bonded me out uh, for first degree attempted murder and second degree assault on an officer. That's class two and a class three felony. And I fought the case for about a year and a half. And during the course of that, I gave my life to God, you know, and that's when I think I told you on, the, on another show, I told you about my vision of me holding a saxophone and a Bible in another hand in front of a countless number of people. That's when I had that vision. And it seemed like the case was not going good. So I, I turned my back on the Lord again and I, I uh, got sen sentenced to 22 years in prison in 1998. That's the the bad part of the testimony, you know? <laughs> so that's what happened. And the enemy was literally trying to kill me during that incident. And I believe the Lord spoke to that officer not to shoot me, you know, because he didn't know if I had the gun or not. And I'm running toward him, you know? So um, I thank God for sparing my life. And, you know, I found out later what the purpose of all, all of that was, you know, and we'll talk more about that. Well, that's quite an experience that you had, Ron. And so let me go back for a second. So what exactly happened to your father-in-law? So um, what happened, the, the gun did not fire. I, I forgot to mention that. So the gun did not fire. Um, my dad knew I had a firearm because I kind of had a some, feeling inside something was going to happen, you know, but as a kid, you're just so desperate to just have what you want, you know. And my dad's a praying man, you know, um, I've seen God use him in a mighty way and in a lot of areas. And he told me that he prayed this to God while he's on his way over there. Cause I kind of hung up on him because <laughs> he's telling me not to go. Um, he said, Lord, if he has that firearm, do not let it fire. He said, he prayed that what I hear is that when the gun did not fire, you know, he kind of grabbed me and we began to fight and wrestle. And then someone grabbed the gun and threw it out in the bushes outside, you know? So that's what happened. So he's, he uh, he sustained some some physical damage because, like I said, I was a, a big guy and I don't remember any of that. I'm just being very honest, you know. I, I would tell you if I did, 
I blacked out from one moment to the next when all of that was going on. When I was in lockdown, when I got to jail from the hospital, I felt a peace about me that I hadn't felt in a long time, even concerning them. So I think whatever it was that was attached to me, let me go because it felt like it accomplished what it needed to. So you were in the hospital for a while and then you went to prison? Um, I was in the, that day I was in the hospital till they, cause I did have a gash in, on my head, you know, I had some other injuries, but I was just there just for a few hours. And then they took me, transported me to the police station. So I, w- I didn't go straight to prison. I had to fight the case. So I went to the city jail and I was under 50,000 bond. I had to wait to see the judge and all that good stuff to, and then my parents posted the bond and, I got out and then I, that's when I began to fight my case. It took about a year and a half. And I, I'm the type of person that accepts accountability. Um, I always have been. So we didn't have to go to trial. I accepted uh, a plea deal for the top two charges. That's why I got 22 years. Actually, uh, the range was 21 to 62 years. Yeah. So they gave me on the low end. Um, so that's that's what happened. And so did you serve that time? No, ma'am. Um, what happened? <laughs> uh, I served a year, a year, almost exactly a year. Um, my attorney filed for reconsideration within a certain amount of time. The judge knew there was extenuating circumstances. And I knew what that came from because I kind of studied my case. The extenuating circumstances, first degree attempted murder back then had a clause of serious bodily injury above the waist back then and second degree assault on the officer was just a serious bodily injury because those are really two really high felonies so if i had gone to trial or gone to the motions hearing they probably would have changed those charges to a lower charge but and i and i don't care about saying this but i was being railroaded by my own attorney to get what i'm about to tell you (laughs) so so uh the reconsideration uh, he was working with the judge to try to get me a community corrections, which is uh, being supervised by a halfway house and stuff like that. So when I was in jail, I had to go back to court the next year and they changed my sentence to 22 years community corrections. So that, you know, it's not prison. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and, you know, looking back now, I thank God for every, every bit of it. You know, I can't change it. So I thank God for it because you know, I know God is real. I was in the community corrections program on a severe, intense probation until 2014. And this is where the good part of the story comes in. I mean, all of it's good because it kept me in alignment in life. You know what I'm saying? It, it made me more responsible. You know, I had to keep a job or else, or I had to do these certain things, you know. But, you know, I, it, they didn't have to worry about me at all. Because I was never a really a irresponsible person other than that crime of passion that I had. But it did keep me diligent in succeeding in life. Um, I became a minister in 2003. So, you know, they and they knew that, you know, they were treating me a little bit different than others, you know. <laughs> and um, 2014 was when uh, the vision started unfolding 2013 actually started unfolding before we get to that let's dial Mm -hmm. back a little bit because okay 
There were so many things in these three incidents that you were talking about. And in every case, you really were in a situation where your life was, in essence, in danger. And yet God saved you out of the danger. And at the same time, you weren't exactly following him. And so there was an interference. We know that Satan's job is to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? So as you look at these three incidents in your life, talk a little bit about that. We know that Satan's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. Say something about that, and then say something about the way God said no. So what I would say about that is um, we know that Satan is the accuser, you know, of the brethren. God has foresight. He knows what's going to happen before time began. You know, I know for a fact that I had a special calling on my life for a special purpose. You know, it's not all about the music. The music is just a tool. If I had to guess, I when the Lord gave me those visions and dreams and stuff, um, I, I feel like maybe Satan knew too, because maybe there's some way that he knew that there was a, some type of calling on my life to try to win souls for Christ, you know. The torment in the when I was sixteen, you know, in that area, and and him using that part and probably speaking into my ear, there's that I'm hopeless and all that good stuff, you know. You know, I wasn't spiritually mature enough to understand what it was and to recognize that it was that, and it wasn't just me. I just thank God for uh, bringing me through all of these situations, even though two of the events were or circumstances were uh, by my own hand, you know, which is a true testimony of God's redemption, you know, for his glory, you know, not, not for necessarily for me, maybe for me too, because he loves me, but, <laughs> but everything is for his glory, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I think about it, the reality is that Satan really has a mission in a sense for all of us. And apart from the covering of God, we would fall into his clutches and these were like narrow escapes. I mean, all the way from the almost asphyxiation with the carbon monoxide, and yet you were saved at the last minute, so to speak, and your father knew what to do. And then with this, you know, near suicide, and then you came out of that. And then the third incident is escalating. You know, each time it's escalating. And we get to the third event, and it's all, it shows a little bit about what's really inside of us if it's not governed, let's say, by the love of God in our lives. So say a little bit about what you learned about yourself in that third incident, because you mentioned it's a crime of passion, which it was. Well, what I learned about myself, of course, with the sentence that I was given and everything, if I didn't, didn't mature naturally, now there's more consequences, you know? So... I took that as a learning experience. It's not something that I would want to repeat. Um, on the spiritual element of it, it made me reflect on the other two and how God has had compassion upon me, even in the midst of my mess, you know, and give me a chance, give me a chance after chance. Cause you know, a lot of people don't have that chance, you know, when they decide to do something like I attempted, you know, I, I got, God knew that I loved him. And, you know, I, I had kind of like a gift. <laughs> Even when I was a kid, you know, I'd be in an adult Sunday school and they'd be asking me questions sometimes, you know, <laughs> you know stuff because I, I love the word. I love the Lord. And and I just had that connection, you know, even when I wasn't being obedient, um, 
you know, and then in my innocence as a youth, you know, I just think that God always has a purpose and a plan for everything. And he knows who's going to take it serious and who's going to push forward with it and, and who's not, you know, and who's going to seek after his glory and not their own. I think it's also truly a blessing, Ron, that you had a family who knew God as well, a family who could pray in difficult circumstances. And your father came to the rescue on multiple occasions. And on this third incident, he shows up physically. And before he got there, he's praying to God to let that weapon misfire. Don't let this go all the way to the worst conclusion that it could go to. And I think about the power of prayer and prayer warriors around us and those in our lives, we have a covering sometimes that we don't even know about. And when we're off base, but the covering is still operating because of others who love us and others who care about us. Yes, I truly appreciate my praying parents and for them instilling knowing God uh, over the years. You know, he's, he's a pastor and he bailed me out even those other times when I was innocent and didn't do anything and I was wrongly accused and stuff like that, which escalated my emotions to lead up to the other situation. And I'm not making any excuse. No one should ever do the things that I did. But to have supportive parents that didn't give up on me and understand that just how we have God's covering, my dad understood that I needed his covering, you know, and he he needed to be there for me no matter what uh, through thick and thin, you know, so having and 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 with the power of prayer, you know, that's icing on the cake. <laughs> you know? yeah. Absolutely. And I'm I'm sort of thinking about, you know, the, the Bible verse where Jesus is saying, Without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And imagine, you know, we all get in these situations where, you know, the anger may uh, build up, the bitterness was building up uh in you. And of course, you had a very tough circumstance, you know, in-laws trying to disrupt the marriage from the beginning all the way until this point. And so that's hard for most people to take. That's a lot of continued aggravation. And at the same time, I'd say being governed by the Holy Spirit of God, we can do things we can't do when we're not governed by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. I I completely agree. God's covering is priceless and and um I truly appreciate it. You've been alluding to some dreams that you had had all along the way that were kind of like a, I'll say a precursor to what your life is supposed to be about. And I'm thinking about Joseph, you know, in the Old Testament, when he had these dreams that, you know, the sun and the moon, his parents were going to bow down to him and the stars and, you know, his brothers, and, and he didn't understand it at the time. And of course, he went through a lot of scenarios, including prison and everything else, slavery, before he got to see the um, dreams come to fruition. So what were those early dreams that you had and how have you seen them play out? I had three dreams over the course of my life. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they were close to the same times as these three incidents because they all happened when I was young. And they all were the same dream. And I firmly believe that they were connected. What the dream was, was very simple. And, you know, studies show that a lot of times you're dreaming, but you might remember the last one, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but I believe, I know this dream was from the Lord because it was repetitive. And all I seen was a black, pitch black sky. I was looking from the first person and I was looking up and I seen a pitch black sky with a cross lit up in it. 
And that's all I remember, but how the God deals with me, even with the vision. So there's a different, these are dreams. The other one was a vision. I was wide awake with the saxophone and the Bible. Mm-hmm. God gives me an understanding of what that means. And um, it's not like, like I heard a voice. He just, it's just downloaded to me, you know? And I knew that end times would be in my lifetime. And, and the time that we're living in now where we're seeing just prophetic scripture unfold and jump off the pages of the Bible with the land of Israel and with um, the world as a whole and how the wickedness has gone to a whole nother level. And, and we're living in the days of Noah, days of Lot, relived again. You know, God gave me a little nugget just through that short remembrance of that short portion of the dream um, that I'm living in a very crucial time, you know, leading up to the Lord's return. And I don't say that lightly because it's it's uh, very serious to me, and and it and it's what drives me and what pushes me. Um, when I've had the opportunity to share and preach, and I share the importance of people knowing when I minister in word, understanding because a lot of people don't understand that um, the land of Israel is a key. You know, it's it's the key to our prophetic timeline. It's the key to everything that's going on right now. God's redemption with Israel. But that that dream and those everything that happened, um, and now that now that I'm saying that, that makes sense. You know, if God has given me those dreams, that He's going to call me to kind of sound the alarm, if you will, and bring awareness of and paint a picture of, to people of what time we're living in. You know, the enemy could probably see that too. You know, that God has called me for those certain things, so that that could play a part into Him trying to, you know, maybe not Him directly, but the forces of darkness trying to hurt me you know so when you saw the dream with the dark sky and the bright cross in it how would you say you interpreted that well i knew what i was looking at but the nature of the purpose of it was kind of like a download should i say and it was quick it wasn't no big vast wording or anything like that that went through my mind in the dream it's just like a download. I just knew, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing. And I knew that I would have to take very serious my pathing in life for, for God and for his glory. And this was, you know, before a lot of this happened, it was like around the same time, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I was very young when I had the first dream and I remember it. It wasn't an emotional thing. It wasn't me trying to prove anything to anybody. Even when I shared to this day, uh, some people push back. Well, I don't know if that's what it's going to look like. I, I didn't say that's what it's going to look like. That's just a dream that God gave me, you know, for sake of me and pushing forward for his glory, for my motivation, for me to minister to people and try to win souls for Christ. Well, yeah, it's a symbol. I mean, when you think about it, the world's in darkness and God is light. And so he's saying that he sent his light into the world through the Messiah. We, are, of course, are light bearers. And he's he's called you, you know, to be a light in the darkness. And yet he allowed you to go through some things. So when you think about all of these things that you've gone through, why do you think God may have allowed it? What is it that he was showing you through your own experiences that it would even make you a more effective or powerful minister for him at this time? When I use the word God allowing, um, he didn't allow the guy in gun to fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. But um, God is a loving God. God 
wants us to love him back. I had a connection with God from a very young age. I, I had love for God. I just didn't put it into action the way I should as early as I should. So I made those decisions and God saw fit to, um, redeem me from it and to give me grace and give me mercy, even on, on a natural level, you know, with the judge and everybody else. Um, cause, cause I could still be sitting in, well, I wouldn't be, I guess I would have ended my sentence by now, <laughs> but he knew that I would be more responsible with the opportunity he gave me right now, you know, with the, with the world and the condition that it's in right now and the wickedness that's going on throughout the world and the lack of reverence and love for God, not saying that about the Christians and the Jews and people that know God, I'm saying the people that don't want to acknowledge God and don't want to acknowledge Christ, it helps drive me to a greater purpose to keep pushing forward and sharing Jesus with everybody. I mean, I share this testimony with everybody at every time God gives me discernment on what to share at times and who to share it to. But this particular testimony, even though I didn't grow up with that lifestyle, I, I was able to minister to gang members, you know, and stuff like that as young men. And, and a couple of them are pastors and elders now and have thanked me, you know, for sharing and that kind of thing. So, you know, God knows what he's doing and how to use a person in their testimony. And I still have the drive and I, you know, sometimes it feels heavy. It feels like a weight, you know, but that's just, you know, we wrestle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. <laughs> so, so I feel a weight, but I have to push forward no matter what happens, you know. Oh, yeah, you would certainly feel a weight because if you understand the darkness that we are living in, and if you really understand how active the enemy is every day, that is a weight. And how crucial and important it is for souls to be saved so that the, the enemy doesn't kill them before they give their lives to Christ, so that the enemy doesn't destroy their lives, even though they may still be living here. So it's almost like you got little taste of this along the way where God is saying, I'm going to let you know what it looks like when anyone is not tied to me so closely that I'm the one who's operating through their life. I want you to see what could happen if I take my hands off of you, you know, and, and if Satan gets his way, you know, that thing about stealing, killing, and destroying, so to speak. And so I really see that. And he's put you in places where you could speak to people who you normally wouldn't speak to. I mean, even having an opportunity to be in prison, think about this. You saw some things there. You experienced some things. You learned some things. What about you being there also prepares you now to speak to gang members and other people? Say a little bit about that. So the insight I gained from my life experience and from going to prison and everything, I did get uh, an opportunity to experience um, gang members in there and things like that. <clears throat> um, and saying that God always gave me favor, I didn't have uh, to deal with a whole lot of uh, violence and stuff like that. But um, I was able to make kind of make friends with those guys and and go to church with them. They have a church, had a church in there as a medium to maximum security prison. That's where I actually started uh, playing the piano for the service. You know, I could play a little bit, but I learned to play there, start playing there and was able to become a music director when I got out and everything. It did help me uh, understand 
some of the gang members' way of thinking and stuff and helped me to be a good youth pastor to them and, and understand their hearts even more. Um, the rest was just all God giving me, the Holy Spirit giving me what to say at the certain times and when ministering to them and encouraging them as well. So it was a kind of a combination, combination of life experience and God leading and guiding as well. I'm still uh, struck by the similarity to Joseph's life in the Bible, because even no matter where he went, whether he was in Potiphar's house or if he was in prison, God gave him favor. And it was like the things that he touched, they prospered because God was with him, even through all of those circumstances. And you're describing something that's uh, similar to that in many ways. So I want you to think about it this way. How would you say that the calling on your life and your ministry has been transformed as a result of all of these things you've gone through? And particularly in light of the verse that says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That uh, scripture, it resonates very much so with me. All things work for the good. You know, that's why I can boldly tell people that I do uh, share this testimony with that I don't regret one bit of it. The only thing I regret is the lives that were impacted, you know, regardless of their intent, ill intent toward me, I don't like how their lives were impacted by my decisions. But other than as far as my life and the and the pattern it took, I don't regret one bit of it because it made me a stronger believer in the Lord and what and what he can do and and how I can share it. And when I uh, got out of prison and everything and the pure, sincere desire of my heart, because I had so much chaos going on in my life, <laughs> my short life <laughs> at the time, <clears throat> was to have normalcy. Normalcy and whatever that looked like. As I, I started attending my cousin's church, within a week's time, there were three people that came to me. They said, God is going to give you the desire of your heart. God is going to give you the desire of your heart. God is going to give you the desire of your heart. My pure, pure sincere desire was to have normalcy. And part of that normalcy was, you know, a normal family, you know, uh, you know, a uh, wife that God would call, have me have, you know, and God has given me all of that and more, you know, I have, like some people say someone, well, I shouldn't say some people, the, the system people that I talk to that were so, <laughs> they were proud of me, you know, even though I was dealing in that probation, the, the probation officer, uh, actually, sometimes a probation officer didn't come. It was the actual assistant president of the community corrections. He would come to my house to check on me, and he would look like a proud father, you know. And they would tell me, they said, you know, people that have what's on your record, you know, I'm not a carnal person, but they say they don't have the American dream. It's hard for them to ever obtain it. You know, they don't have a house, car, you know, normal wife, you know, a new start like you do, you know. <clears throat> I think in a sense they're tell me to think about those things, be grateful, which I already was, but, um, God surely redeems, you know, all things work together for the good. And like I told you, as even as a young child, you know, I had this connection with God. I love God. I didn't make the best decisions because, you know, but I, I love God, you know, and, um, as I matured, that love grew and I want to be more obedient. I want to do the right things. I wanted to make, try harder, and harder to to try to stay in alignment with his word, with his will, with his way, with what he wants me to do, you know. 
whatever happened to your first wife and your first family? Um, I have three boys. They're grown. I have, including step grands. <laughs> so I have 13 grands. Seven of them are my blood grands. I still have a good relationship with my sons. Me and my ex, you know, we get along. I did have to create some distance because um, there was still some drama there and stuff. But, you know, we, we just celebrated a wedding reception of my youngest son together, you know, with my family and and her and her spouse. And, and there's no ill feelings there. The grandparents were there. Her parents, they were there. We hugged, you know. God has redeemed all of that. Um, you know, I can still sense there's a little bit there with the father that I tried to shoot. And I understand, you know, I have asked for forgiveness several times and we're fine now. You know, we can talk, you know, at, at an occasion and stuff. And But uh, God is good, you know. Yes, he's good. And we know that your, your current wife and your two girls, that's a beautiful family. God has blessed you. And he's... Um, in essence, restored the crops that the locusts have eaten, so to speak, in many ways. So you still have your sons, you have your daughters, you have your current wife, and that's a blessing. And he's in the process of even redeeming this whole situation from what you're describing. So Ron, there are some people out there, people who are, let's say, the corporate executive types, and some of them are thinking, oh, this would never happen to me. There's nothing that would be this dramatic in my life. What would you say to them on that point? I am a businessman. I work for a healthcare company as well, and and I'm and I'm in a top thirty Billboard artist. You know, you don't get to do those things without being a businessman. Even though it's God's calling, He knew that I would be able to handle the business aspect of it. Although it was very dramatic, uh, there's several things I could have done uh, professionally, but God had a purpose for me, and I could have been a, an executive. I could have even been a professional athlete. You know, and my brother played NFL. Um, he's he even says that I was better than him. You know, I don't think he'll mind me sharing that because he taught me. So, but to make a long story short, although these may be a mature executive and you most likely would not put yourself in this situation, the key thing to take away here is the spiritual element, I would say, and how God can even better your life. You know, you may have a good life now, but even some areas that you have desires and you want to grow your business or grow even professionally in god can enhance that to to the third power if you put him first and seek him in all things that's the only way i've achieved the things that i've had and that i have come out of what i've come out of and god has uh turned my life around and redeemed my life for his glory it, it wasn't for mine i could have pursued you know, like I said, being an executive or something like that, but that's not what God had for me to do. I, I learned to hear his voice and follow the direction that he would have me go. You know, I did try to go into management in this healthcare company before <laughs> several times and God stopped it. I left an interview with the operations manager saying, oh yeah, we could be giving you a call and it didn't happen. But I found out later that the purpose was for me to stay in the department I was in for sake of people and ministering to people you know people that were contemplating suicide and stuff like that you know i was there for them to encourage them through god not to do that 
Wonderful. So I'll say two things about that. One is even if you don't have a dramatic situation in your life, with God, you're going to go further. You're going to go faster in a sense and the way he would have you to go. So that's number one. And then secondly, you don't know whether you'll have a dramatic event. Corporate executives are often showing up with all kinds of scandals these days. And sometimes the temptations about, you know, finances and money and whatever is out there can trip up many individuals. So I think it's important for people to hear your story because it could be any one of us. It may be a little different package, but it could be any one of us. And so we do need to just sort of like hear it and take heed and say, let me check myself now, you know, before something does happen that maybe I'd be sorry about and regret later on. And of course, we know that even in the mistakes, God shows up and he still saves, he still redeems. And your story is very much about that. And you're now an instrument that he's using to save other people along the way. So we know nothing's wasted. Nothing is lost in God's economy. You speak through music. Music is your language. And so how can people get a hold of your music and learn more about what you have to offer there? My music is uh, on every uh, streaming uh, service, Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, you can order a hard CD if you still desire to do that at ronmcmillan.com. Uh, last name spelled M-C-M-I-L-L-O-N. And you can uh, book me um, if you'd like to book me for music or if you'd like me to come speak to your youth or even adults about uh, my testimony. I I wouldn't mind doing that as well. And give you some music if you like. You know, <laughs> um, at, at ronmcmillan.com. <laughs> they go together. <laughs> ronmcmillan.com. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. What uh, final words of wisdom do you have for those corporate executives in my community out there? What else would you like to say to them? Um, I would like to say that, um, uh, just echo what you're saying with God, all things are enhanced, if you will. Um, and there are corporate executives that I have seen uh, myself personally and seen on the news that not only the scandals, but we're living in a dark world and, and they're feeling hopeless. You know, money is not to solve all to all problems. There may be some out there that may have some hidden issues that you're not transparent with and that you're dealing with either at home or even with the pressures of the business. And it may seem hopeless. And, but God, provides hope in those situations, you know, give, give God a try, you know, if you're not already, and he'll give you that peace as the Bible says that will surpass all understanding. And that's what I had. And that's what got me through the, that prison time that got me through that probation when um, the probation officers were coming over and, and early on and turning my house upside down saying they're looking for stuff just to, you know, to see if they're going to push a button, you know, God gave me that peace that surpassed all understanding and if you, in, in all your ways, if you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. That's what I would say. Amen to that. So, Ron, in a minute or so here, I'm going to share a final Bible verse. And before I do that, I want you to tee up a song. That's going to be the last song um, that we're going to play in the show today. Uh, your music is fabulous. And this particular song, inspired by your love and appreciation for God, is called From Within. Tell us a little bit about that. 
I t- titled that song From Within because uh, everything that I told you today, my story of redemption, it increased. I already loved the Lord, but it increased my love for God on a whole different level. And as I was recording that song, my love for him was flowing from within coming through my saxophone. And there was confirmation when I would share this with certain people in the beginning when I released a song that they felt the Holy Spirit, Nate, that's what they felt was love. God's love embraced them. And they told me that they were going through some things and that song helped them to get through. Praise the Lord for that. And I know as people listen today, it'll help them get through as well. This particular song, I have to say, Ron, it actually brings me to tears. I think I could feel the emotion in it as you were playing it. And so I know it's going to be impactful. God will have it to touch hearts as only he can do. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for sharing your story. I pray to God that someone's life will be transformed and touched as a result. Amen, Dr. Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have this platform to share my story. It's a true blessing and an honor to be able to do this. I'm not ashamed of my story. You know, some people, when they have accomplished some of the things that I have in the music industry, they want to hide those things because they would think it would tarnish their success. I'm out for God's glory, not my own. And I, I want people to be touched and, and blessed. Amen. And they will. They will be touched and blessed. You're giving all honor and glory to God. So I'd like to read First John, the first chapter and verses 8 and 9, very familiar scriptures. And it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I say to everyone out there, God is for us and not against us. He's already paid the price. He's already made a way through the blood sacrifice of the Messiah on all of our behalves. And if we commit our lives to him, no matter what goes on, we can confess those sins and they are forgiven. What a blessed and special promise. So take that with you today as you listen to From Within.
Dr. Clarence Schuler is the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships, and his wife, Brenda Schuler, the two of them together, won Speakers of the Year for the Family Life Marriage Conferences. They know a lot about marriage, as at the time of this recording, they've been married for almost 40 years. So I have Dr. Clarence Schuler with me today. Dr. Schuler, what's the word on marriage? What would you like to tell people? Well, Karen, thanks so much for this introduction. I would like to tell them that our nonprofit, Building Lasting Relationships, we actually get wounded people in God's word into wounded people, primarily by memorizing scripture. Then we heal them, equip them, and empower them to become reproductive disciples who do the same for others. And one of those venues that we do is use marriage. And we've done marriage ministry all around the globe. And we refer people to our, our resource, which is keeping your wife your best friend, which is written for husbands, but also their wives. So they can go through the book together. There are questions in the back. So whether they have a tune up, their marriage is in crisis. We really feel this resource can change their life forever. And they can actually use it to help change other people's lives. So we love marriage. We think marriage is designed to be for a lifetime. And no matter where your marriage is, there's hope for your marriage. It can be better than it's ever been if you just put some work into it. So we love marriages. And I know marriages put a smile on God's face. Well, amen to that. And if you keep your wife your best friend, I think you have an even greater chance of being married for the long haul. So if you would like to know more about the ministry, please go to ClarenceSchuler.com. And you can give a donation there, or you can sign up for a marriage experience yourself. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.